will be legendary even in hell. Welcome to Franchise Fan Guys for Hellraiser Part 3, titled A Waste of Good Suffering. I'm Tom Breifogel, joined by Andy Schmidt and Skid Marr. How about you guys introduce yourselves? I'm Andy Schmidt. I'm a comic book writer and publisher at Comic Experience Publishing. And I don't have anything pithy to say. Skid? Hi, I'm Skid Marr, and I don't tend to waste any of the suffering that you people are about to endure with us. We're going to put it all to good use. Franchise fan guys. It's easy to see that most people think the franchise started off with a promising first installment and then took missteps from there. What works and what doesn't work from a franchise perspective? So. Uh, man. Well, I, so I did finally watch Hellraiser 4. I, I mentioned last episode. And uh, I, I just I, I want to share some of my notes here that I have on it. Atrocious CGI. That's my first. That's my first note. Uh, that was very bad computer animation, for, especially for 1996. Like that was terrible. Uh, the atmosphere and design reminded me of Brotherhood of the Wolf. You guys remember that movie? I do remember that movie. Yeah. Yeah, that movie yeah. was a, no, that's was a, a good that was a big deal. It, yeah, it really felt like Brotherhood of the Wolf. And this was like a few, like five years before Brotherhood of the Wolf. Brotherhood of the Wolf is the French movie where a couple of guys in period dress are using kung fu to beat up on a lion wearing armor. Uh, that was Yeah, so yeah. so you're saying it's ahead of its time. I, that's exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. I'm with you. Go on. <laughs> uh, there was more Dracula imagery in that movie, which which was the, which was cool. Uh, you were right, Tom. Adam Scott is in the movie. I didn't believe you, uh, but he, he was. <laughs> That's his name. <laughs> and it was freaking me out because he looked almost exactly like Tom Cruise in Interview with a Vampire, and I never. Oh, absolutely. Same haircut. Yeah. It never occurred to me that he looked anything like Tom Cruise, but he really does. My last note is, this movie sucks and I hate it. That was it. Welcome to hell. No! I'm curious about the Dracula imagery. What Do you remember specifically what you were thinking of? Or what yeah, well, just the serving the, with the maggots at the, at the dinner, just uh, making them eat bugs and everything. And actually, that whole scene when they invite Marshawn to the house, it's, that felt very much like Jonathan Harker, like at a at Dracula's castle. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I think that's an element that I really liked about this. That comes back like okay, it's it seems to be really be there in the first movie, and this may be the first time that it really comes back. Yeah, it's sporadic at best, but yeah, but it's an interesting thing, and and. You know, I, I, I kind of you know, talked about last episode, like, hey, if I were approaching this from the perspective of I was going to make Hellraiser comics and had like kind of free reign to do it. That's a thing that I think I'd want to I want to really chew on that and see if there's something to be done with that or ways to incorporate it more. I think that's a really great observation and something that that it could be played off of more. Yeah, I think that the franchise is best when it has specific themes that it kind of plays on. And I think that's why I talked about some of the inconsistency. There, There is some inconsistency in some of the themes, too. So I think more of that sort of specificity would be better. What do you think works overall in the franchise? I mean, like, again, 
uh, Pinhead works. Like, Pinhead's cool. But which version of Pinhead? Like, You know, that's the thing, too, is that I think the franchise is kind of riding off of all the good work done to create Pinhead in the first movie. Because pretty much, I would argue, that pretty much every subsequent appearance of the character on the whole only diminishes him you don't i don't think there's any improvement on pinhead after the first movie which is i i I don't you guys could think differently but i mean i think that that's a definite shortcoming but that's what they did it's they did such a good job creating him and establishing him in the first movie that he's still interesting that's like i'll i'll still watch these movies for him but they don't they don't add anything they they only they only they explain more but they actually but they detract from from the character i think you got would you guys agree with that uh yeah i totally agree with it i wish i didn't know anything about his backstory i i do like like i was saying earlier i like him in part three a bit i don't like when he's hamming it up as much but i do like him being more active doing more things creative with his killings overall for the franchise for me, the unanswered questions I have, it just, there's so many and there aren't any answers. It's in for a movie that seems like it's like pretty anti-religion. It's almost like religion. It's like, well, you just got to believe, man. Like you, that's what it is. If a drop of your blood hits the ground in the same house you used to live in, then you reform. Like that doesn't make any sense to me still, but I don't know. I, I just, feel yeah, like you it could have, yeah. you just have to do that with so many things. I think that's my least favorite thing about the franchise. You just, you can't question almost anything. Like what they got right, I feel like it was a time when there was no internet and teenagers couldn't find whatever they wanted at any second. So I feel like it was made to to shock people and be entertaining. I think they got that right. It's definitely a shocking movie. Just they hold some of those scenes, like you see the skin being ripped apart for a lot longer than I think you'd want to see in most movies. I don't know if that was unique or just a, just a mainstream movie doing it. I have, haven't seen many horror movies where they exploit it to that level. But I think it could have been really cool if on part four, instead of trying to become bigger and better and in space and in the past, I think it could have been cool if they went back, returned to form, but now with a bigger budget and with better actors and a better director. I think I don't know if that would have been the right thing to do financially, but I think that could have uh, kept the movies in theaters instead of going straight to VHS after that one. Yeah, I think you're both right. And I think the thing is, is at the end of Hellraiser 1, I definitely have questions. But they're questions I'm interested in learning more about, but I also don't need answered. And by the end of Hellraiser 2, like I feel like those questions are answered in very unsatisfying ways. And I have new questions, but I don't care. I don't give a shit about those questions. <laughs> and to skid your point about diminishing the character, um, that is, ex- that, I mean, I've talked a, a, a fair amount already about why I dislike Hellraiser 2 so much, but another reason that I dislike Hellraiser 2 is because it like overtly diminishes Pinhead and the other Cenobites by just mm-hmm. making it really freaking easy to kill them. Yeah, that's the big like, thing. That's huge. And so, so I go into Hellraiser 2 going like, oh, I want to see, you know, Pinhead unleashed. And what I get is Pinhead put down, like, pathetically. Um, and so I find that, I find that film, it just, it just, uh, I find it so hard to watch because I, I feel like every decision made in making that movie is the wrong one. But that's also why, you know, but then that lowers my expectations tremendously for Hellraiser 3. So when Hellraiser 3 was kind of Pinhead Unleashed, 
And the idea of Pinhead coming into Earth and, and unleashing hell on Earth, I, I find that as, a, as conceptually like fairly satisfying. Like, we went in a new direction, but it's valid and whatever. I don't love the execution of it, but at least it's, it's better. But again, it does diminish the character in the ways that we've talked about. And then, and then Bloodline is just... <laughs> oh, Bloodline. Uh, so I think we should explain... I have, I have a soft spot for it, but okay, well, go ahead. Explain it, Skid. Well, I think we should explain, because we mentioned the Alan Smithy credit for the director credit in, in one of the, in the first episode, and I don't think we really explained... For anyone who doesn't know what that i don't think we explained it but for no, anyone go ahead yeah for anyone who doesn't know what it is it was a common practice in hollywood up to a certain point to like if a director wanted his name taken off a project for whatever reason they would attach the the name alan smithy that's a pseudonym to the project and it was kind of a secret code in hollywood that it's like this movie sucks don't go don't go see it so, but it's just like I don't want to be associated with this. So, like we're making the the this this fictional character like having done it, and that was true. I think up until American History X, the Edward Norton movie, because that that movie was famously troubled, and that became a huge sticking point. Was the director wanted his name taken off of it, and they wanted an Alan, Alan Smithy credit, and that blew up in the papers, and then it's like everyone knew what it was, and it stopped being a thing. But up to up to a point, that's what. So it's all it's always fun like watching. I think actually, didn't Dune? Didn't the David Lynch Dune have an Alan Smithy credit at one point? Oh, it might have. I don't know. I, I think it did. But yeah, it's fun like going back and watching old projects and seeing that name pop up. It's it's really funny. But anyway. That's that's what that is. And usually those movies are awesome. They are. <laughs> yeah, that's usually a director wants his name removed from association with a project because it's too good. They don't want expectations to be too <laughs> right. high going yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. They're like, I can't live up to this. I want my name taken off. Yeah, they'll get, or they'll get pigeonholed. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> terrible things will happen. Well, I, I read a little bit about kind of what was going on and yeah the director lost control uh one director left a new director came in then he lost control because the producers were making all kinds of changes and stuff so it just sounds like it was just a a mess and like who like you know i don't know what happens to the screenplay during all that like the screenplay (laughs) is somebody coming in and just throwing pages of the screenplay out and then adding new stuff i don't know that like it's one of those things where like you the fact that that movie holds together as well as it does is kind of shocking once you read about what the what the production was like but which is not to say that it's a great movie but yeah i mean i think you know <laughs> bloodline also like going into the future onto a space station you're like come on guys <laughs> come on <laughs> yeah the, your budget is, not, is 3.9 million dollars don't set anything in space yeah like i said with every movie they get maybe one thing a little bit better but then they take a horrible wrong turn with something else you know it's just it's strange. It's strange. And honestly, these are the things that, that fascinate me as like from a creative and a franchise, like IP development standpoint, these are the franchises that I really love to dig into because I like to, I like to tear them down into their individual parts and then rebuild them into hopefully something better and more compelling that holds water. That's a lot of what I do. And I love doing it. And so like something like this where it's like, oh, Pinhead and the puzzle box, like those are so compelling. Like 
these should be so cool. Can can I can I dig in here and find ways to and you know or or even find other collaborators to bring in that that could really draw this stuff out. The mm-hmm. other big thing I think you hit on Skid is theme. That when Hellraiser hangs its hat on a theme rather than delving into the lore and answering questions or changing pinhead it tends to work better when it's a when it's an exploration of theme it's kind of a big ask for low budget horror movies that are usually written by people that aren't real good at that um (laughs) but but i do agree with you like the like one of the things that i wrote down you know, before we even, I mean, obviously I'd seen these when I was a kid. So before I even sat down to rewatch them for this discussion, I wrote down, you know, what are the, what are the key things, just like a word association, what are the key things that, that I associate with this? And one of the phrases was pain and pleasure indivisible, which Mm. Pinhead says, I don't know if it's in the first or second one, but you know, desire is a big thing early on in the franchise. And those things sort of just go away. And it doesn't always have to be around that theme, but it could be like, I mean, you look at a character like Spider-Man that's been around since the 1960s and published every month in like four comics a month, like 50 comics a year. And they, they all, well, maybe they don't all, but for the most part, the good ones all still revolve around with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. There are a billion ways to express a theme, Mm -hmm. even within a single franchise. And so, you know, that's the biggest thing that I feel like is, is missing after the first one. There's a little lip service to it here and there, but for the most part, it's it's missing. And a theme exploration with Hellraiser, I think, would be really compelling and could still give you all the creepy vibes that we want mm-hmm. from Hellra- from Pinhead being creepy and even your jump scares or gore effects if you want it as well. Yeah, like I think instead of focusing on digging through all these details and make it, you know, giving backstories to stuff that we that doesn't matter, that just cheapens your product, if you just focus on a, a theme like that, I think that that is how. But I think that's the thing is because they had like that's the first movie had that that theme. It had a compelling theme, something interesting yeah. said to say. And then the the baton is kind of picked up by people down the line who I think they just don't understand why the original movie was as interesting as it was beyond just I think just the design of the character. A lot of it boils down to like people who. You know the studios can find that will work for cheap and just aren't very good. Honestly, I hate to say it, and the studio doesn't care that they they don't care about this stuff because, like this movie, it's we talk the fourth uh, Bloodlines. You talk about how bad it was, and it only made nine point three million dollars at the box office, but it was a success because it only cost four million dollars to make. What's the motivation for a studio to really take the time and make something of quality when they can just throw out garbage and like make a quick buck? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I I feel like I have this debate all the time with people, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean the the difference is you know you could have made the first Hellraiser like you could have dumbed it down and it would have been it would have made some money, but people wouldn't have been compelled to come back for a sequel. Right. I mean, there is a diminishing returns. If you keep putting out bad product, great example, I'm sure we'll wind up discussing this down the line at some point is die hard, right? Those movies, <laughs> the first one is freaking brilliant, but like, like I, that's one of my all time favorite films. 
So I don't think I even bothered to go see the last two. Like I could just tell from the trailers, like these are these are not Die Hard movies. Yeah. They're not they're not up to par because part of what I associate Die Hard with is a good movie, right? And they don't <laughs> look good. They might be fun. They might be entertaining, but they're not. But they're not. Um, maybe I did see the fourth one. I can't remember. Um, but. <clears throat> You know, I mean, it's just that, you know, but if you were to continue to build good things, then the brand gets stronger. And, you know, I mean, and you make more money, right? You, and then you, you can sell more licenses. Like, there's just so much more money to make if the people with paying for things and the, and the creatives in charge, obviously, um, are, are invested and don't just strip mine it. I think that was the term you used mm. before, Skid, was strip mining it, right? If you don't strip mine it, if you build on it and you and you continue to build something it gets more and more valuable and a great example of that is the original star wars trilogy empire mm -hmm. strikes back builds on the first star wars it doesn't mm -hmm. strip mine it right return of the jedi is more payoff it's not there's not quite as much building in that one but that's understandable it's the you know sort of the final act but that trilogy continues to build and so you come away from empire strikes back and there's all this new stuff to explore Right. Instead of trying to explain exactly what the force is, even in all that stuff on Dagobah, where they get into more sort of the philosophy of the force, but they don't try to really explain what it is. You know, had that movie been all about metachlorines, metachlorides, whatever they were called, metachlorines, yes. one. <laughs> metachlorines, um, yeah. that would have been problematic. That would have been the wrong turn. Yeah. That's the thing. Uh, they instead, explain, you know, we, we they, get we we get the bounty hunters. There's still the mystery in the force, and we get the bounty hunters that are added mm -hmm. into it, and Boba Fett, and we get you know we get all this cool stuff. So there, they're really they're really still building out, and they're adding more things of quality. And then you know, and then there's the the prequel trilogy, which does the opposite. And while those movies made a boatload of money, they ultimately more or less damaged that franchise. Mm -hmm. theoretically that's the motivation yeah for sure but you're also opening yourself up to more risk i think that's why people do strip mine stuff yes. like this because then when you try to build on it you're risking losing whatever it was that people found compelling about the original product so well, and, a lot of times and, and people think to, they are building right 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 yeah that's right that's true I don't think they go in going, I'm going to strip mine this. I think we right. just don't know the difference. <laughs> yeah, but I think they're afraid to depart too far from the original product because they, they don't want to lose their audience. So they end up kind of going back to elements and, like, you know, and drilling down on like stuff that doesn't really matter. Because, yeah, it is a risk. And then it's just like, you know, if you really are trying to make a quality movie, how much are you going to spend? Like, I bet it's got to be more than $4 million. And if you're spending more than $4 million and you only make $9 million, it's just like, well, then you get fired. I understand. It's just like, I ideally, it's like, yes, it's just like you should try to, when you have something, a good idea like that, like this, you should you should build on it rather than just try to exploit it right but but obviously easier said than done yeah yeah obviously easier said than done and that does make it interesting when you have a good idea and you have missteps like this this is well, for us like this is great it's just like how would you stick the landing given another shot at it breathe you just back it up against the wall you heard him back it up don't make us put some pain on you 
Pain. How dare you use that word? I feel like at this time, when, when Bloodline came out, 96, that's also when, uh, I feel like it could be a turning point in mainstream horror, because Scream came out in 96 as yes. well. I love the Scream franchise, right? I really loved the first Scream. Me too. And it, and then the next year, I Know What You Did last summer, and then there were both sequels to that. They were way more grounded and less over the top mm-hmm. and less fantasy, and Freddy was essentially done at this point. The only movie after that was Freddy versus Jason. And then this was straight to VHS after that. These movies seem campier once Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer came out to me. They probably just seemed for the next generation of teenagers just like old stuff, like immediately within a year. So I feel like if Hellraiser 4 would have been more grounded, maybe it would have uh, stood more of a chance. But I'm not sure. I, I really like those movies a lot. Yeah, I didn't, Scream. Oh, I haven't man, seen it. I know. Yes. Just, sorry, go ahead, Andy. No, I was just going to say I didn't realize Scream came out that same year. But that, I mean, that was absolutely a game changer for the horror film franchises. Yeah. Or, or genre. Like, I mean, that like everything that came out after that was was trying to figure out what made Scream tick, including I Know What yeah. You Did Last Summer. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and, and you know, movies like Urban Legend. I remember that one coming out uh, not oh, that yeah. long after that. But but they were they were much more grounded um less fantastical you know and uh but yeah that is interesting i didn't realize i didn't put it together that hellraiser 4 and and uh and scream came out the same year where you know one landed more or less with a thud and the other one was a game changer yeah talk about it i i could talk about scream all all we you know we should do scream at some point the scream franchise we totally should because uh, yeah it really was every it 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 closed the lid on that era of on this era of horror because it deconstructed it in a really brilliant way to the point pointed out all of the all the tropes and everything so any movie after that had to deal with what was revealed it was like a magician revealing his tricks every movie after this had to deal with what was revealed in scream which i I think is really interesting one thing we're not going to talk about scream until we do it but when i saw scream in the theater i was 12 and i was so terrified that the mass killer was going to run through the exits and start murdering people in the theater. <laughs> and then that's the opening scene of part right. two. I thought that was brilliant yeah. that they, that they did. Yeah. That. Yeah. The killer is amongst us. Yes. So does analyzing Hellraiser this way lead us to a better understanding of the franchise as a whole? After this discussion, what defines Hellraiser for you, Andy? Well, yeah, I, th- I mean, anytime I do any kind of, franchise exploration like this. Um, and I always find it is helpful to, to find some folks to talk with about it. And, you know, especially people that are either fans or familiar with it and discuss, you know, what connects with them and that kind of thing. But yeah, I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on what, what this is, what works, what doesn't. And, you know, one of the things I look for too is, um, not just what works and what doesn't, but what do people respond to and on what level do they respond to it? Like there are some things that you respond to like on a very basic, like core level. And that's something you can usually really build off of. Um, and then there are other things that people just respond to because like pinhead looks really cool. Um, that may not be like a core level response, but he looks really cool. Like, and that's something that we can use. So, so categorizing things, um, you know, deconstructing them into these in, and pulling pulling them into these component parts, but then also starting to understand how the component parts work and how to, and how people react to them. Now, obviously, not everybody reacts to everything exactly the same way, so there's there's gray area and that sort of thing. But y- yeah, I mean, I, 
every time we every time we do these, uh, which I which is one of the reasons why I enjoy doing these explorations with you guys. Like I just go like, man, now I really want to get my hands on this <laughs> and like and and do a and do a real deep dive. Like we're we're watching the movies and we're taking notes, you know, and and that kind of thing. And that's a great. It's a it's a really good start, but you know, to do like a real deep dive, get my hands dirty and then, and then try and rebuild it. Like that's a, you know, I'd like I'd be super excited to do that at this point because I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on, on, you know, what people want out of it. And I think I could figure out how to give it to them, but still in a way that surprises them and keeps the, and keeps the mystery and keeps the horror and makes Pinhead that much more awesome. And that's what I, I would love to do that. That'd be a lot of fun. That'd be awesome. Go do that. Go do <laughs> right, I'll, I'll look up. I'll look up. I'll look up the license and see if they'll okay. let me take over everything. Great. Yeah, I'll get right on. Cool. I love. I love deconstructionist stuff generally. But another deconstructionist horror movie that I love is Cabin in the Woods. Oh. I want to go. Th- watching these movies after finally watching Bloodlines. Now I want to go watch Cabin in the Woods again because there's a moment in Cabin in the Woods where. They're going down into the gunny works of the horror factory, and they're seeing all the monsters, uh, the, 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 the monsters like around them as they're going through in this, the, the elevator. And the last one they see is the one, the monster that's supposed to be Pinhead. And he's just standing there, and I can't even remember, but like I think he's just standing there holding the equivalent of the box. He's just standing there with this look on his, just, he's just staring at the protagonists. And that moment for me, especially now having seen these movies, is the epitome of what Pinhead should be. They just encapsulate it in that little moment, and it's just it's just like 25 seconds, and that's what I, I don't know. I don't. I can't even. I can't even explain it. I'm like, that's what the that's what the franchise should should aspire to, is that that moment, and it's sad that they were able to get it on the nose in this other movie that had nothing to do with this franchise, but. I forget what the question was, but I just want to watch Cabin in the Woods now. Do you have a better understanding of the franchise now after oh. after going through all of this? After uh, tormenting no. yourself with watching these four movies? <laughs> no, not really. I think I yeah, it's I think I want more of what I liked and I I enjoyed watching these as as shitty as they were. Uh but yeah, I I, I, th- I really want Andy to make his project because I want to see a good version of this story. Andy, you were talking about recording Pinhead's lines and like listening back to them because they're so great. And they are. And that is the best thing about Bloodlines. That it may be the best thing in the whole series is he has the one line that they're asking him. It's just like, what about God or something? And Pinhead says, do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? And I was like, Yes! That's awesome. That's cool. More of that. Less yeah. Adam Scott. Yeah, as great I... as Adam Scott is. <laughs> Less Adam Scott. Poor Adam Scott. <laughs> I know. At least, at least he went on to have a career. Uh, he did. So, I congratulate. He, he escaped. He escaped. Right. Yeah. Henry, Henry Cavill is in one, of, is in one of the sequels. Right. Right. When I was a kid, I was raised on many religious VHS tapes. <laughs> And there was a series called McGee and Me. Have you guys ever heard of this no. series? I'm happy to say no. <laughs> oh, you got to Google it. So 
McGee and Me, it's a show about this kid, Nick, who draws this little character, McGee, who comes to life and uh, teaches him Christian values, and he always has a decision to make if he should do the right thing or the wrong thing, and then he learns that the right thing is always the right path. Uh, a funny thing about it, some of the kid actors end up in some 80s horror movies as well, which is amazing, because you know, the one kid's in Freddy Krueger movies and McGee and Me when he's like 10 years old. <laughs> in McGee and Me... I haven't thought about this in 30 years. There, there was an episode called The Not-So-Great Escape where they wanted to go see a horror movie in the theater. And um, Nick, has to, they have to do this big plan to get in the theater and he's not allowed to see the movie. And then when he sees it, he takes his 3D glasses off in disgust and he's like, my parents were right. This is trash. I feel like that is what Hellraiser is trying to do. They were trying to piss off parents. They were trying to shock teenagers mm. and entertain more than trying to make a good movie. And I feel like that worked for the first three movies. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good observation, <laughs> Tom. I think you're right. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I could see that. I, that's well, knowing what I, what what little I know about Clive Barker's uh, biography, like I could I could actually kind of see that, like he he liked to explore those those sorts of aspects of things, and he likes to explore not just the dark side of things, but you know the things that that a lot of you know a lot of parents want to protect their kids from. Like that's what he he likes to explore those things. Um, so that actually makes a lot of sense. To me. Thanks for listening to Franchise Fan Guys, Hellraiser episode three of four. Please write a review and give a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Intro music by Tom Breifogel and John Harvey. To connect, visit FranchiseFanGuys.com, at FranchiseFanGuys on Instagram, and at GuysFranchise on Twitter. Bye, everybody. Franchise Fan Guys.